again for listening to the Roseburg podcast. My name is Sarah Rowe. I'm your host, and my t- co-host is here as well, Tony Sangelosi. I swear Sarah, to God, I tried number to say eleven. Sangelosi. Sangelosi. The the listeners probably got it by now. I want to say sand. No D. Literally no D. Rhonda threw an H in last episode. There was no H in the last If Rhonda Rousey puts an H in your name, that's just how your freaking name is spelled. It has it now. It's a done deal. So completely (laughs) understand. Hey, uh, anything crazy going on this week? Um, No, just freaking I farm, I train, I breastfeed. I'm either cooking food, taking care of my future food, or being food. So just very food- I'm a foodie. <laughs> I've understood. I got a, I got a kind of cool updates real quick. One, Shoot. my student who we were talking about was competing last Saturday, first round TKO in his first fight. So that was super exciting. Uh, that was good. Uh, and uh, we can, I guess we can announce now three, three Oh bowstrings. Yeah. Uh, three, three Oh archery that, is becoming a, what, what technically certifies something as a conglomerate? I don't know. That, I don't know. Maybe that, that more than a couple things, I guess. But <laughs> custom arrows, custom bowstrings. Uh, it's uh, it's happened a lot faster than what we thought was going to happen. But um, man, everything really just fell together, and we're we're super excited. Uh, it's going to get really I, exciting. So I think I have a cool transition. So I, Tony, I think it's very cool that you are like taking initiative and starting your own business and taking a kind of leap of faith. You know, you're trying to get this business step away from a job that you are no doubt good at, but you're not super passionate about. And today's guest just so happens to be someone who followed their dream, followed their passion and now is doing amazing things and helping people better themselves. Everyone, I would like to introduce you to Order of Man. Ryan Mickler. That's, awesome. That's a good intro. I like that intro. I hope I my microphone sometimes. sounds better. A minute ago, it's probably crappy. It, found, it sounds better now, right? My microphone? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you sound okay before. My, I can't really hear, so I've been in the head a lot. But Tony, how's, how's he sound? Sound okay? <laughs> yeah, he sounds good to me. Okay. All right. You're good. Hey, so funny, funny story, Sarah, when you were mentioning about uh, being a foodie you and I have been connected for a long time. The first time we met was at winter strong with Sornex. Yep. And I think you were breastfeeding your baby at the time. (laughs) And I on legitimately, I didn't even notice till like halfway through the conversation. I'm like, Oh, she's breastfeeding because it doesn't bother me. Like I don't even see As it. it shouldn't. I got four kids, hey, good on you. It doesn't even bother. And you're out there and you're doing your thing. And I'm like, well, if it doesn't bother her, like it shouldn't be bothering me. And yeah, I, yeah, I tell I that to the ladies like, at Walmart. I always oh, have sympathy for people who like, because I don't care. I'll just I'll whip it out and feed my son whenever he wants. And <laughs> like a lot of people, I'll be talking to them. They don't notice. And so when they notice, they're like, oh crap. And they're like, I don't want to like stop the conversation, but like, I don't know what to do with myself now because breastfeeding is so, it's crazy. It's so like taboo nowadays that it, shouldn't it, be. it didn't bother me. I, I, I just realized I'm like, oh, she's breastfeeding. Okay, cool. Well, we're having a good conversation. And like, if anybody's going to be awkward about this, it would be her before me. So <laughs> it's all good. And I, just I didn't notice say, that you'd notice. So that's a good thing. <laughs> well, I think it's cool. Like, I want to throw that out there. I think it's cool because you're right. There's this weird thing about 
having children and breastfeeding why? them and why, the natural cycle of life. It's so strange. But why, when did that get weird? Or I why? think it got weird when the formula companies thought knew they can make more money selling formula than moms feeding their babies through the breast. So they were like, only poor, only poor people breastfeed their kids. Or only third world countries breastfeed their kids. And then it just stopped happening because it was like a cultural thing. So when moms were doing it, it was seen as like underclass or like something you only did if you couldn't afford to buy formula. And because of that, it kind of became taboo. But like, I don't really know, you know. That, that's just yeah, a but guess. you know what's you know what that's I, I like that point but you know what's interesting about that like if you jump on instagram for a minute you know like everybody will be all weirded out about a woman breastfeeding her baby but if you jump on instagram all these people who are weirded out about that don't have any problem showing tits and ass oh that's that's a great percent. point great like, point what, like what's so you so you're okay you know frankly whoring out your body that way but you're not okay with breastfeeding your child i mean that that to me shows i've had things flagged and removed from face from instagram because i was had a like i had a a story of me breastfeeding cash and it got taken away when the girls i literally worked with at the time were you know that's crazy wrestling everyone's half naked so (laughs) everyone else's posts get to catch up ass backwards so strange anyways cool conversation so far yeah yeah (laughs) Boobs are always a good a good topic. We'll we'll put Absolutely. this. It'll it'll be our trap to get people to come and watch the podcast. My my father in law. Okay, I'll say one other thing, and then we'll move on from boobs. But my father in law has an interesting theory. We we're talking about it. it's like, why do men like boobs so much? And he's like, well, can you blame us? Like the first thing that happens is we come into the world, and a woman sticks her boob right in our face, and so like that never goes away. That's why we like boobs so much. So, Ingrained. It's and literally the one wife, thing like, you're born to do. Yeah, but but then I asked my wife, I'm like, well, if that's true, but like women, like the same thing with little girls, right? And she's like, women like can appreciate good boobs on other women. So anyways, there, there's your boob story for the day. So, And we have our own to like mess with. You guys don't, you know. True. Don't, true. <laughs> the Roseborg Podcast is brought to you by Roseborg, where family, farm, and fitness all come first. Make sure you join our email list for the most up-to-date, exclusive content. The link to this is in the description. We would greatly appreciate it if you would give us a follow, share our story, and leave us an honest review. Thank you for listening. Hey, so let's uh, let's jump into uh, jump into something a little deeper. Uh, okay, and fair. So, what, what's it mean to be a man, Ryan? Oh, that is uh, wow. jumping in. All right. I'm both feet in. <laughs> All right. So I had a good conversation earlier. I've been thinking a lot about this um, actually, well, for seven years, but specifically over the past couple of months, um, because I, I've got a new book coming out and we talk a lot about this, this concept of What's what it does called? it mean to be a man. It's called the Masculinity Manifesto. When's that coming Masculinity out? Masculinity Manifesto. It comes out the, uh, the end of September. So Ooh, this book awesome. comes out. And, um, I was thinking a lot about it because people talk about masculinity and, and what I found is there's two, there's two camps usually. So there's the camp that says masculinity is inherently toxic. And, and I've, when I say that people are like, no, no, nobody thinks that. Well, the American psychological association came out with a quote unquote study several years ago. And they said verbatim that the characteristics that we would generally consider masculine. So this would be dominance, stoicism, aggression, and competitiveness. Those are the four they listed. 
are inherently dangerous and destructive to our young men. So that's the American psychological association. All right? wow. They're responsible for dictating the tone of the conversation as it relates to psychological therapy for, for children and, and for adults, for, for human beings in general. So if you're saying to me, like, nobody actually thinks all masculinity is toxic, that just isn't true. That's what's happening. But if you have, but on the other side of the equation, this is the other camp is people say, well, masculinity, no, it's inherently good. And I, and I had to wrestle with that. I'm like, is it, is it though? Like, is it inherently good? And the conclusion I've come to is, is it's actually neither. It's neither moral uh, or, or evil or destructive. It just is. It's amoral. So let, let, let's extract one of those elements. I think I said violence, or, or maybe I didn't, but that was, that was one of the terms they used as violence or the attributes. And, and I would say generally speaking, not exclusively, but generally, men have a, a greater propensity for violence. If I was walking down the street and I saw somebody and I felt like I wanted to uh, steal from them or, or have what they had, and I assaulted that individual and took what was theirs in a violent way, I think most of society would probably say that was an unrighteous use of violence. That's, that's inappropriate, to put it mildly. If, on the other hand, I saw that happen and I went up and I defended that individual or I pulled out my firearm and I put a bullet between that person's eyes, I think most of society would say that's a righteous use of violence. So but is it's it still violence? violence? Yeah. It's still violence. Yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah. So is it, is it righteous? Is it virtuous? Or is it destructive and dangerous? Well, it's neither. It's how we use it. Mm. So Tony, when you ask me, what does it mean to be a man? It's very simply this. A man is somebody, a, a male, first and foremost, a biological male, who uses his masculinity, his inherent characteristics as a man, and harnesses them for productive outcomes for himself, for his loved ones, and people that can't defend themselves. Period. Now, some people will say, well, a man, you know, just that's anatomy, right? You have, you have the right anatomy. Well, that isn't true because I've got three boys. They're not men. They've got the right anatomy. But they're not men. Nobody expects them to be. So what's the difference? Well, they don't know how to harness masculinity yet. And so when my son gets mad, my youngest in particular, because he's wild, when he gets mad, what does he do? He starts punching things and people. Okay, that's masculinity. Is that appropriate? No. So now we got to harness that propensity for violence, that propensity for physicality in a constructive way so that he can serve himself, his people, his loved ones, and people who can't serve themselves. So well point. said. It's like manhood is relative, you know? Yeah. That's... It's, it is relative, uh, but it's also pretty uh, objective. And, and, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So there's a book. It's, uh, it's either this blue one right here or this blue one here. I, I think it's that one. Without looking at it, it's, it's one of those blue ones. And it's called Manhood in the Making. And the author, David Gilmore, studies different cultures throughout time and history. And what he finds is he finds that all of these tribes and these cultures have striking similarities between the way in which they view manliness. What we hear a lot is that uh, masculinity or manliness is a societal construct. Well, it isn't. It's a biological construct and it's supported societally because it works. So men are to be protectors, providers, and presiders. Now where the relative por portion of that Sarah comes in is the way in which we do it. 
So, you know, uh, 200 years ago, the way that we were as men, protectors and providers and presiders is different than the way we might be today because of the ease of modernity and culture and everything else. But at the root, it's always the same. And that's what the author, David Gilmore, found is that even these tribes and cultures that have never even been introduced to each other believe very similarly about what masculinity and manliness was. I think and it's so important for a man to achieve that like masculinity or to achieve that level of manhood in order for like a female to be able to reach her like full potential as a female. Like I know that before meeting Ray, like I kind of was forced to step into that male role. Like I was my own provider. You know, I provided for, you know, several dudes I dated and like, I thought I was this big, strong female. And it wasn't until I met Ray that I was like, I'm finally able to, I felt safe enough to like let my guard down and explore like the feminine, the things that make me female, the things that make me feminine and like my full like womanhood powers, you know, I'm, I'm sure like, I know you and your wife have like gone, you know, through this whole journey together of like kind of finding yourselves. Yeah. I mean, look, isn't that a beautiful thing? Like when, when a woman can let down her guard because she knows that she's got a capable man who will do what he needs to do to protect, provide and preside. But, but also isn't it a beautiful thing when a man has a, a woman, a beautiful woman, and I'm not just talking about physical attraction. There's a lot more to beauty than physical. Physical is important, sure. But, but when a man has a beautiful woman by his side who brings a level of kindness and empathy and compassion and the ability to partner with and bring a child into the world like we were talking about earlier so that a man can feel like, hey – like I got a family to take care of and we feel good about that as men. We yep. feel, feel fulfilled. And that's a beautiful partnership that I don't think society collectively agrees with as much as maybe we used to. And it's really tragic because I see a lot of lost men and I also see a lot of lost women uh, who feel like, like women feel like, and what they've been told by society is, well, you need to be like a man in order to be equally important. And men are like, well, our society tells men, uh, well, you uh, you shouldn't act so manly. You should you should be more civilized. You yeah. know, you should even from the time that we're in school, it's like sit down, shut up, color within the lines. <clears throat> the school system is entirely st- stacked against young men. We can see the statistics in yeah. that. And you know, you have a, a rambunctious kid, and, and I have several. You know, and it's like, well, there's a, there's a problem, and so we need to medicate them. Or, yeah, they have ADHD. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's not what it is. Maybe they just don't want to sit here and be lectured for 10 about hours. all this stuff when they're worried about, you know, fighting in the schoolyard and playing sports or, you know, figuring out how to like blow stuff up, which is synonymous with chemistry and science, but they want to do it in a constructive or maybe not constructive, but a hands-on way. Sure. Yep. And that's the same way. So and this is kind of similar, kind of different, but the way I learned something. So I was never, I was never good in school. I, I, I would rather do anything than sit in a classroom for, for 10 hours. But if I was taught something with using my hands and let me physically do it and learn it that way, I can retain it way better. Now I have friends who can watch. So for example, uh, I have a friend who he can watch a jujitsu video. He can instantly go apply the technique. I have to, physically 
do it, put the arm here, you know, roll over, lift my hips. Uh, okay, now what? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, if I were if I were to learn my day job in a classroom versus hands-on doing, I wouldn't I wouldn't be nearly as good as, as what I am because it's, I don't, I can't learn like that. It's just not for me. Yeah. It, it, there's been a lot of studies that have suggested, again, I'm speaking in some generalities here, but a lot of studies that have suggested that men are more interested in things, right? So we're interested in the mechanics. We're interested in, you know, um, uh, mechanics and, and, and cars and rockets and these, these things, technology, and generally women are more interested in people, so they're relational, they're in, interdependent with those other individuals. And so, yeah, when, when you have a school system that's heavily weighted towards the female way of learning, you can see why men are getting left behind and getting left in the dust. And it's, it's really unfortunate. It really is. It's unfortunate so, for everybody, not I, just the men. I, I agree. So if we, where do you see us as society 10 years from now, 15 years, five years from now, if nothing changes as far as in the school systems. If it, well, okay. So you qualified that. Cause I was going to say, I'm not a fortune teller, but if nothing changes, <laughs> we're going to see more of the same. We're going to see a lot of men become more feminized and people say, well, I don't, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is that women are supposed to be feminine and men are supposed to be masculine. There's nothing wrong with femininity. Like there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with that, but it needs to be counterbalanced with masculinity. So if we continue to have the society that goes down the path of zero femininity, zero masculinity, because that's really the goal is we're going to make men more like women and we're going to make women more like men. And if that's the path that we're going to go down, we're not going to have the benefit of either. We're going to see a decay and a decline in population for sure. I mean, look at rates of, of reproduction uh, in, in younger people. It's declining, you know, and, and uh, you're also going to see just more at a, as an anecdotal level, you're going to see a lot of dissatisfaction, which leads to uh, anxiety, depression, and suicide. Yep, agree. Dark days. Unless yeah. we get this stuff figured out. I agree. So I, I want to kind of go back and touch on a little bit. Um, you mentioned that you homeschool. I'm a big fan of your, uh, that you're so outspoken about homeschool and such an advocate for it. Uh, I would like to, you know, say, and why do you think it's important to homeschool your kids in this kind of like, why not just find like a alternative school or like a Montessori school? Why do you think at home is where it's at? I don't actually think that's a horrible idea, private or monastery or, you know, or even a co-op type situation. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a horrible idea. I actually think that's a step up from government schooling. Um, but the, the pinnacle of achievement, I think for a family is to be able to educate your own children. Uh, and you know, I, I know it doesn't always work in every situation, um, I, I don't have anything generally against school teachers. In fact, I have a lot of friends who are school teachers or friends who have spouses that are school teachers. And I really respect a lot of those, those people, you know, they're, uh, in a, in a, in a difficult position. I, I think the majority of school teachers, pub, public school teachers, that is want to do right by their children. They they're in it for the right reason. Um, but they're hamstringed by a rotted system. And, and, it, yeah. and it really is unfortunate. I was, uh, I'm getting ready for a, a presentation this weekend and 
I was thinking about some cardinal rules of sovereignty, which is a book I wrote several years ago. And one of the rules that I wrote, and I still have to flesh this out a little bit, but roughly I'll just say what it is, is that your priorities are your responsibility. Your priorities are your responsibility. So if your priority is your children, then they're your responsibility. And that doesn't mean you have to do everything on your own, but it does mean that you need to make sure that they're getting everything that they need to succeed. And they just aren't getting that in the government school system. Me and Tony were kind of touching on this before you got on. Um, I feel like that, you know, kids spend so much time at school and then the parents, because of just how the way the freaking world works, they're spent so much time at work. And then by the time you get home and your kids get home from school, you have maybe a few hours tops and then everyone goes to bed and you restart your day and do it again. So like, your kids are being raised by who they're around and they're being raised, you know, by their peer groups. And at a certain age, that is a totally normal thing and it needs it to happen. But if you really want to, like, I feel like if you really want to influence and to be involved and be that inner voice in your kid's head, I feel like homeschooling is the way to go. Well, and, and we, we also need to be careful because one of the things I hear, and I hear a lot of different arguments about homeschool, or, or public school, this, this debate in general, it usually comes down to two or three things. Uh, one thing I hear a lot is that your children won't be introduced to new ideas if you don't have them in the public school system, as if the public school system has a monopoly on new ideas. <laughs> that's kind of an interesting thing to me, but let's, <laughs> let's table that for a minute. Yeah, that's actually true. Like, I don't want my eight-year-old introduced to dangerous ideology and I'll tell you why, because they're not mentally equipped to deal with it. An eight-year-old is literally incapable, literally incapable of discerning fact from fiction, of discerning right from wrong, of discerning behavior that's going to produce positive results and behavior that's going to produce negative results. So when people say, well, I want my kids introduced to new ideas, Bro, they're eight. They don't know. They still if think I Santa's coming them, down the chimney. Yeah, good. That's a great point. Like, they honestly believe that. It's like, are you an idiot? Yes, they kind of are. Because they're eight. They're little dangerous so idiots. Yeah, so like what? You want me to introduce them to new ideas that they can't possibly mentally, emotionally combat against or defend themselves against? That's like the 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 the, the what do they call it? The the wolf guarding the, the chicken coop or the hen house or what the fox guarding the hen house. Mm-hmm. That, that's what that is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, I want my kids introduced to new ideas too. So you know what I do? I introduce them as their father to new ideas. We listen to podcasts. We listen to radio. They have conversations with their friends because they're very active. That's another one. Socialization. We can talk about that if we need to. Your son's powerlifting um, and finding that pow- whole community. Totally. And he's got friends that he does it with. And sometimes his friends say dumb things that they learned. And my son, my oldest comes to me and he's like, Hey dad, so-and-so said this thing. Like, what, what is that? I'm like, well, let's talk about it. I'll give you an example. One time my son and I were working in the barn on a project together. And he's like, dad, I need to ask you a question. And the way that he phrased it, I was like, Oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. I don't even know what this is about. I just know it's going to be awkward and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I don't want to answer this question. And sure enough, he's like, what's a blow job? Straight, straight up. Yep. Straight up. Like, 
I don't, I don't want to talk about that with my 11 year olds. I think he was 11 or 12. Like, I don't want to talk about that with him, but you know what? Again, my priorities are my responsibility. Yeah, so who I else, actually need right? to talk yeah. about it with him in a, in a constructive manner. But if he goes and asks his buddies about it, he's going to get this warped, perverted, distorted idea of all these things because what he's ex- supposed to be exposed to new ideas. No, that needs to happen in a controlled environment until they're able to discern between good information and bad information. So let me interrupt real quick, just for, so for, for men or for dads who are trying to develop that relationship, I'm sure that wasn't, he just didn't automatically feel comfortable, right. To just ask his dad a question like that, right. How do you, what kind of advice do you give to, to dads to kind of, to, to build that comfort level and that trust? Because you're right. It's an uncomfortable conversation and there may be kids that don't even ask that or don't have the courage to ask that to their father, right? What what do they do in a situation like that or how do you build that? So there's there's two rules that I have. And the first rule that I have for, for myself specifically, there's other rules, but for myself with regards to fostering this with my children is I'm going to ask them questions. Like, do you know what that means? Do you understand that? What, 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 do you, what do you know about that? Or if they hear something on the radio and I'm like, oh, I hope they didn't hear that. No, it's like they heard it. So I'm going to bring it up. Like, let's talk about that or swear words or drugs or pornography. Like they're being exposed to it. So the first rule is I have to be assertive as a father to ask them about it. So if my, my sons or my daughter uh, hears something or I think they may have heard something, I'm like, hey, you know, you, you heard this on the radio. Like, what, tell me what you know about that. I, I think that takes you like the responsibility part. Like you're taking on the responsibility of opening that door. Like you're not leaving it up to the kid to open that door. Because if, if you can't open the door as a full grown adult, how in the hell are they supposed to know how to open Great it? Great idea. Yeah. Good point. Good point. If you're an adult, so like, oh, I, I, I can't talk about blowjobs. Like, no, it needs to be talked about. Like, <laughs> well, and even on like a more non threatening for lack of a better term way. Like how many parents don't talk about money with their kids? Yeah. Mm. Like you're not even willing to tell them how much, like uh, one of my sons one time asked me, uh, I bought a new truck several uh, years ago and they said, how much was your truck? And I think a lot of parents would be like, Oh, well, it was a lot. Don't worry about it. Like, why wouldn't I say that truck cost me $35,000? Like, why wouldn't I tell him that? Because I'm I, like, I'm lazy maybe, or, uh, because I don't know, that's really it. Like I'm lazy. I don't want to have the conversation. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to ask more questions. Like that's I it. think two people like don't think their kids are capable of understanding. So like, I can't even explain maybe. it to them because yeah. they can't, they wouldn't be able to understand it when good point. I think a lot of people, like, I think people see, like, if you talk to your kids like adults or you know, within reason, if you talk within to your reason, kids like sure. adults and explain ideologies like an adult, they'll be able to kind of think that way. And I, I think growing up yeah. too, I think money was always taboo to talk about. So I remember my mom uh, always saying, I, I remember asking somebody like just a stupid, like how much money do you make? And I remember getting the talk of you don't talk about, you don't ask about how much money somebody makes. So I think that that question, you know, for, at least for me, I mean, I, I, I don't think I would have asked that, you know, growing up because I was worried about that money conversation, you know? That's the man trying to get you down. Right there. <laughs> well, I mean, look, we do have rules. So uh, 
for example, if my children ask me how much money we make per year, I'm going to talk about it. And then what I say is, Hey, but no, there's, this is, this is family information. Like we don't, we don't okay, need to yeah. share like this that. outside of the walls of our home. You're the family. Like you, it's okay that, you know, and we don't need to pry into other people's business and be asking those questions. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because we're family and you're asking a good question and I need to be able to teach you about these things, but there's absolutely no reason for us to share this outside of the walls of our home. Sure. Completely so agree. there's, there's, there's guidelines, but there's another, there's another rule. And this one's very important. My wife and I have this rule as soon as we started having kids and I'm not even sure why we had the foresight to be able to do this, but we don't tease our kids about important issues. We do, we don't tease them about it. So one of the rules we don't give me an example rule in the house. If my son has a crush, my oldest son has a crush on a girl. We don't tease him about having a crush on her. That's not allowed because why would I tease him about something that I want to have happen for him to be attracted to a young lady who at some point, you know, maybe he decides to engage in a relationship with and make that a lifelong commitment. Why, why would I tease him about that? Why, why would I tease him about if he doesn't know how to do something uh, like um, maybe we're building something and he's like, I don't, I don't understand fractions. Why, why would I say, Oh, you don't understand what an idiot and, and like mock him and ridicule it. Why would I do that? I want him to understand fractions so we don't tease him. Like, hey, that's a good question. I didn't know you didn't realize that. Let me share with you. Or when my son says, hey, I, I say, who's your girlfriend? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, you can tell me. And he's like, I really like Amanda. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. She's cute. Like, what do you like about her? And then we talk about it without teasing and mocking and poking at each other. It's just something we don't allow in this household. I think that's awesome. Like. Yeah. Because teasing is such a way too, to to di- dismiss the feeling or to mm-hmm. dismiss what they're going through or discredit it even. So I think that, you know, like you just said, she, she's a really pretty girl. The kid's like, yeah, she is pretty. You know, it's, yeah, it's giving exactly. them confidence in their Validation. decisions and their feelings, which is super important. Yep, absolutely. So this one's a little, uh, this one's a little off topic, but kind of not. So um, where, what advice do you have for, uh, for stepdads? So, you know, let's just, I know every situation is going to be different, but let's say you have a, uh, let's say you have a, a stepdad, marries a mom with kids, you know, real, real, real good guy, uh, tries to be the father figure, right? And you have a very toxic, um, the blood dad, we'll call it. Uh, mm-hmm. um, have you ever ran into situations like that or, or people uh, like that? What advice oh, yeah. would you give? What, what advice do you give to those? Let, let me back out a little bit before you even become a stepfather. And this isn't always popular, but I'll just go ahead and throw this out here. And it's very important is you as a, as a man are not obligated to be in a relationship with a woman who has children from another marriage. Okay. I agree. That, it's a choice, that right? Could be a, that could be a deal breaker. And people hear that and they're like, oh, what an asshole. Oh, you're so insensitive. I'm like, nope. no, because that's going to change your life. And I'm not telling you should or you shouldn't. I'm just saying you don't have to like, you're not op. If you love a woman and she has other kids, there's factors beyond love that could be a deal breaker for you. And nobody else gets to determine that for you. Sure. I get so sick of hearing people like, well, you know how insensitive you're not going to marry that woman because she has other kids. No, because maybe he made a choice 
and that isn't part of his life's strategy. Same sure. goes for women, by the way. Sure. Okay. But let's let's assume that you've made that choice, and that's okay. That's a great choice if you feel like it, it's something that you want to do. Before you enter into that relationship, the very first thing that you need to – not the very first thing. Before you enter into that lifelong relationship, meaning a marriage commitment, you really need to set some expectations around how you are to father that child. Because you like some clear expectations that fall back on. What is my role here, hon? When little Billy or little Cindy uh, messes up, how do I get involved with regards to discipline? Hey, tell me about your ex-husband. Like I need to know what the relate. And if there's baggage there, again, that's a choice you have to make, but you should make that choice before you enter into the agreement. Because I'll tell you, if I, I get involved with a woman who's got kids, that's one thing I need to be aware of. And then if she has a crazy ex-husband, that's another thing I need to be aware of because that's going to impact my life and I need to make those decisions with all the facts on the table. Do you think it's appropriate to talk about boundaries like after the fact? Like you already you you found yourself in this relationship, like it's happening, like it's and you find that like, okay, we didn't set these boundaries up, like things are arising. Do you think it's appropriate to to bring that back up? Yeah, I mean the the best place to talk about boundaries is before you enter into the agreement. Like why I use a, like a business contract as an example. Why would you, and I know Sarah, you've signed a bunch of contracts with regards to your work. Like you read them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't read them. All right. right, To to be honest, I was a broke 18 year old and was like, that money. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. So, but that's the problem though, right? Yeah. It was a problem. You're, you're correct. And that's what a lot of guys do too, is like, Oh, this chick's hot and I love her. And like, put a ring on it. And then all of a sudden you get into it. You're like, Oh wait, so that's a problem. So the first, the best time to do that is before you sign the contract for, for future reference for you. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll remember that next time for, for my <laughs> starting today the contract. So often I was just, you know, good enough. <laughs> the, the next best time to do it is today. The Roseborg podcast is brought to you by three, three O archery. 330 Archery specializes in handcrafting arrows designed for you and your bow. The special care guarantees that your arrow will not let you down when you need it most. Perfection is their obsession. Perfection is 330 Archery. Is like right now, like, oh shit, I didn't do this right. So I better do it right now and I better start to work on some of these boundaries. So when you ask, is it appropriate? Yeah, hundred percent. It's always appropriate to talk about boundaries and expectations. Always appropriate mm-hmm. to talk about it. And the more you talk about it, the closer we get. Right. Because I, I, you know, you, you love that woman. She loves you. And so you guys are willing to compromise and sacrifice. And then you get closer together. The more you talk about it and the more you put these things on the table, they're happening. You could bury your head in the sand and pretend there aren't. They aren't. It, all it means is that you just won't see them. Like my five-year-old, or actually he's, he's six now, but when he was little, we would play hide and seek. And you know what he would do? He'd go like this and he couldn't see you. So he thought <laughs> you couldn't see him. It's and not like, happening. Oh, I yeah, I see you. Just because you can't see me doesn't mean I don't see you. So it's still happening. So let's just get it on the table 
And it's going to be really awkward and really uncomfortable and really painful if we've never done this before, but we got to get this thing figured out. I think especially as like, as a couple, because those boundaries, those expectations might not align. Like I know something I'm so thankful me and Ray did was we sat down and what was like, what are our main priorities that when shit is hitting the fan, what do we fall back to? Like, we need to have a list, like a literal list of some of things that like are important to us. And as a family, like not just individually, like as a family. So we, for instance, ours is like family farm fitness. Like if family's taken care of, farm's taken care of. If the farm's taken care of, then we can worry about the fitness part. But if one of those is lacking, something needs to change. Something needs to go. Something needs to be re restructured. And that it's, it's amazing how often we go back to, like, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm like, okay, let's start with family. It's something I can always fall back to that. And as a couple, we all have an understanding, like Ray might want to do something. We might want to go on a freaking hike or something, but I'm like, Ray, no, we have to stay home and do this on the farm. He knows that if I bring up a farm issue, hiking's done. Same family issue. If there's a farm issue, but a family issue, farm is done. Screw the farm. It'll live yeah. another day. You know, I think boundaries, expectations, big fan, Ryan. Good, good, good advice. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys did that ahead of time because so many couples don't do that stuff. Like they don't talk about kids. I mean, imagine this, imagine. So my wife, we started having kids about 14 years ago. My oldest just turned 14 and we've been married for 18 this year. So we waited a little bit. So I, I think um, it's good. Waiting's good. It is. It was good for us. And there was a lot of deployments and things like that with the military that happened in that meantime. Anyways, um, a, a lot of imagine for a second if my like my wife wanted to be a housewife and a homemaker, which is what she wanted from the time that she was a little girl. It's always what she wanted. And I, I was imagine for a second we never had that conversation. And I was always <laughs> under the impression that we were going to be a two income household. And that we were going to put our kids in daycare and she was going to go out and pursue her career or vice versa, whatever, whatever the dynamic is. Mm -hmm. But we weren't on the same page about that. Like, imagine how that's going to go. Imagine if she's a flaming liberal and I'm a, a crazy conservative. Okay. Imagine if she's a Satanist and I'm a Christian. Like, tell me, I know I'm using extreme examples, but, but if you don't talk about that, tell me how that's going to work. I know you're using extreme examples, but if you don't talk about it, it turns extreme and it turns into an issue yeah. that is that big. Thousand percent. Yes. You know, is issues are relative, you know, like it's so important to have those expectations set because when there is arguments or when there is something that comes up, you have a fallback onto and you don't have all this resentment built up that your life is not going like you pictured. And, you know, Sarah, the resentment conversation is really important. Um, I I've, every quarter I try to think of like, what's my theme for this quarter going to be. And, and, I, and I work best in those, in those frameworks. And so this quarter I've really been focusing on being honest, like telling the truth. And, and part of that is obviously not lying, but the other part of it is expressing what I think in the moment when things aren't happening, maybe the way that I'd like, or I see a problem and it's been a little bit of a challenge for me because I'm, I'm kind of a recovering nice guy, but it's, it's so it's <laughs> hard nice for me guy. when things aren't going well in our marriage or, you know, my wife does something that I perceive as a slight, 
you know, after almost uh, 20 years together, there's still things that she does. And I'm like, Oh, like she's out, she's trying to get me. And I put all Mm -hmm. this weird narrative around it or whatever. And normally I would just like try to slide it under the carpet a little bit and say, no, you know, forget about it. And now, because again, I'm trying to focus on this. I'll bring this up to her and I'll say, Hey, hon, you know, this, this conversation that we had last week, you did this thing or, you know, she spent some money on something. I can't even remember what it was, but it was more than our threshold. And she, and she just spent it without even talking to me. Just did it. And she just did it, but it was more than our agreed upon threshold. We have a threshold. Yeah. Like if, if, if she wants to buy something and it's a couple hundred bucks or whatever, and it's like, you don't need to run that by me. And I don't need to run that. Like we're adults, but there's a threshold and we've talked about it. And it was above the threshold and she spent it. And she's like, oh, I just thought it would be a good idea for us. I'm like, whoa. I mean, you can think that all you want, but I feel like you undermined our agreement. That was our agreement. And you, mm-hmm. what it makes me feel like is you don't care about our agreements. And she was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. And, but you got to bring it up because if you don't bring up these points – they're just going to get worse and worse and worse. And then one day you're going to have a heated argument. My wife have gone through this and one day it happened. This was 13 years ago. And she said, well, I don't even want to be married to you. And I said, well, I agree. I don't want to be married to you because of, of years of bullshit that we didn't talk to each other about culminated to, I don't even want to be married to you. This is the problem with not opening your mouth and being honest about the way you feel about things. And I think a lot of men think that like men don't have feelings or men don't talk about their feelings or they are just the people that are supposed to swallow, you know, bear the cross and not complain. And like, I value so much that Ray will tell me how he feels. Like he's not always like we're human. He's not always great at like nipping it in the bud as soon as it happens. But like, we'll, you know, we'll set some time and like, we are always able to come back and like talk about our feelings and we're able to take feelings back, which I think is a huge thing. So I'm like, if I'm like, I'm feeling this way. And then we talk about it. I'm like, no, I actually wasn't feeling that. I was feeling this. That's okay too. And I think mm-hmm. yeah, men talking about like Ray was so much better talking about his feelings than I was. I grew up with a Marine father. We just ate it, <laughs> ate that shit all the time. But, um, and he's teaching me to be more open and yada, yada, yada. But I think it's a big part of my manhood is being able to own your feelings and to communicate them. What do you think well, about I that, think Ryan? There's a difference. Well, I just think there's a difference. You're a hundred, you're dead on with that. And there's a difference between reacting versus responding to your emotions. I don't think it's appropriate. A thousand percent. For, yeah. Not just men, but women too, to react to our emotions because react is like knee jerk reaction. We're not thinking about it. We're not thinking clearly. We're not, taking into consideration other feedback, rational thought, other people's perspectives. It's just like, just go like you're pissed, like start punching walls and stuff. It's like, okay, you probably shouldn't do that. Responding to them. That's just maturity. Hey, I'm angry. Like I can go to my wife and say, Hey, you know what? You did something and I'm very angry about it. And here's why I don't need to go punch a wall or abuse her about it. I just need to say I'm angry and here's why. And then she's going to say one of two things. Usually is, well, okay, I didn't mean that. And here's what I meant. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I thought you meant something else. Yeah, nine times out of 10, it's a miscommunication. Or it's, through, or it's through a text, which or I, the other I hate. One, she's, 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Or the other one she's going to say is, um, you know, so she, again, she'll say, uh, I didn't mean that. Or, or she'll say, oh, you know, I, I'm sorry. Let, let me correct that. Or she'll do it to me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see how that would affect you that way. But yeah, that, that actually makes sense. So I'm sorry. And then we're good. <laughs> Sounds like adults. <laughs> right. And like it's, adults. it's such yes. like a freeing thing too, to, to be like, oh shit, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And to that be enough. Like you always feel like you have to, I, I always felt like I had to like do more, like be more like my, me admitting faults and apologizing, like wasn't enough. Same. Well, I do think there is a little more to it though. Like in, 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 in all fairness is that you actually have to correct the behavior. Thousand percent. Yeah. Right. Because if, if you just say, I'm sorry, a bunch of times, it's like, at some point I'm going to be like, okay, stop saying sorry and just stop doing that shit. Mm-hmm. So, so I do think you have to have a genuine, a genuine, like heart, like I truly am sorry. I didn't see how that would impact you. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you make an honest effort not to do that behavior anymore because you know, it affects your partner. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. I do you, uh, do you think that like that can kind of circle back into like what it really, I think to me, that's what's really like important in life to honor your relationships and to be able to speak to them and to nurture them. Like, is that what you think is like truly important in life or do you have some different expectations or different? So here, here's what I would say is because mar- marriage, some people don't want to get married. Some people don't want to have kids. So some people want to pursue this career. Some people want to pursue that career. And so who am I to say, yes, universally, you, you should honor the relationship you have with your wife. I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe, Maybe that's not what you want to do. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it's a good path. Like I, it served me well, but maybe that's not what you want to do. So what I would say is that you should honor your priorities. And if you've signed on the proverbial dotted line that says, I'm going to honor you as my wife and you're going to honor me as your husband, then that's a commitment I made for life. And so the priority is to make sure I'm having these conversations, even though I don't want to at times, because that's what I said I would do. Mm-hmm. If, if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, Hey, you know, I'm 50 pounds overweight right now and I really want to get in shape and that's a priority for me. Then you don't, you relinquish the right to eat like garbage and to not show up at the gym. Like you relinquished that, right. You signed on the line. You said, this is a priority. And so in that case, your priority is to eat better, to put down the booze, to put down the shit, and to get your ass in the gym, because that's what you said you're going to do. So whatever your priorities are, that's what's important. I don't know what your priorities are, but whatever they are, that's what you need to be doing. Great. Wow. You circled back to one of the first things you said that that was smooth. The priorities is your responsibilities. You circled it back. It's in his first round. I like that. I like that. Hey, so, uh, Sarah, we're coming up on time before you ask your question. Uh, Ryan, just want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I didn't ask a ton of questions, but I did a whole lot of learning on this episode, so I really appreciate you coming on. But, Sarah, you, you sent me one question. Uh, I'll let you finish it. Go ahead. Yeah, um, so at the end, I like to ask a question. Uh, it's a similar question, but I customize it to the podcasty. Um, Guest? If, <laughs> the podcaster. <laughs> if you could give a young boy one piece of advice, what would it be if they could do one thing with their today with their life 
what would it be? I hope it's okay that I'm kind of general on this, but what I would say is yeah. take more, take more risks than you think you should. Hell Tony, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. you're doing it. God, fanboy. What, what, I don't know. I don't get it. What do you guys? Tony just started a business and he's hoping it grows so he can leave his nine to five. Like he's building custom arrows. He's doing custom strings and he's kind of really invested, you know, not all of his eggs are in one basket, but a hell Pretty of a much. lot of them are. So, <laughs> well, but I was always the one I was telling her, like, you know, I talked to my wife about it and, you know, I have a very strong relationship with my wife and we uh, we're very much a team. And I was going to read a post that, that you posted about on Instagram about coming home from jujitsu and your wife had heated up the meal and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you remember that, but, um, I do remember that. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, because that, people called me a misogynist yes. and uh, yes. sexist and yes. everything else. But that was actually, that, that, is, that is very much like my, my nights, you know, she's in bed, but she makes sure I have food. Uh, it's ready to go. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, you know, we, we had talked about, you know, investments and, doing something for ourselves and we've had so many great ideas, but we haven't lost a penny. We haven't. And I feel like we haven't been trying because we haven't had an investment that failed because we haven't failed at anything because we haven't tried. And, uh, this is the, the journey that we're on now. So it was funny that you, it was funny that you said that. Yeah. I just think there's, I was walking around the field the other day with, with my oldest and I was thinking, you know, I'm 41 years old, which is not old, but it's older than I've been in the past. obviously. <laughs> like, Even since yesterday, I'm 41 years old. And yeah, exactly. Like I'm one minute older than I was a minute ago. Uh, and you know, like if I lived life expectancy, I'm more than halfway through my life. And I think I have some things to show for it. You know, we've chased some dreams. We pursued some cool things. I, I hope I've left a legacy. If, even if I died this evening that, to my kids, I hope I've impacted people in a positive way. Um, and then I started feeling really bad for people who have dreams and they're too afraid or subdued or whatever it might be to follow them because they're worried about, yeah, what if I lose, what if I lose some money or, you know, what if we have to sell one of the cars or what if, what if we have to move and sell, sell the house and rent for a little while? And I'm like, man, that's a small price to pay. I mean, that's a risk, no doubt. That's scary. But it's, even if that happens, that's a small price to pay for pursuing something that has unlimited upside potential, literally unlimited upside potential, not just financially, but for your own well-being and fulfillment. And Especially because, Sarah, you were asking me for a young man, especially for a young man. Like, what do you have to lose? Z zero. And, and it only gets more challenging because you're going to get married and you have kids and bills, then you have a job mortgage. and you have bills. Right. And then, you, you know, your kid breaks his arm or you have an injury and then you got, you know, medical issues and recovery. Like, it only gets harder. So do it now and get in the habit of taking – not being reckless, but taking calculated risks. Some are going to pan out, some aren't, and chalk the ones that don't work out to learning and roll with the ones that do. I mean, we, I'm half, like I said, halfway through my life. It's not very much more time left. And I also have an eternal perspective. I think that what I do now is going to play out for eternity. And what I don't do is something that's going to play out for eternity as well. Mm. What a hell of a way to end. For two years, 
because I, you know, messed up and now we got to rent. But that means that for eternity, I get to say, Hey, at least I went, went all in. That seems like a pretty good trade to me. Hell yeah. All right, Sarah, take us home. Right. Like he's giving me so many things to think about. Like I'm having trouble, like getting my thoughts together. I literally have a whole, I've made notes the whole fucking podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Like I, I flew like real quick. I flew to Japan four days after I graduated high school, not knowing what I was doing, and just like I feel like I didn't even think about it. I just went and like did and did and did and did and did and did, and I showed up and I and like I don't recommend a young girl fly to a country she doesn't know by herself just to go and become a pro wrestler. But like those risks, <laughs> you did okay though, huh? Yeah, but like yeah, but don't but but is that really like? You wouldn't advise a young woman to do that? Like, if that was her dream? Like, it worked for you? I mean, in Japan, Yes, in Japan, sure. I would. I flew to Mexico by myself, though, and by my, and did a wrestling <laughs> right. show. I don't know if I'd advise that. But, but yeah, like, it's those those risks and those, like, life callings that are, like, pulling you. Like, if you feel something pulling you and it's, like, risky and it's, like, there's an Arabic saying called Maktub. Like, it is written and it is meant for you. And, like, just... Gotta go. Like Ryan said, take that risk. It it is so worth it. So Tony, take your freaking risk. We're gonna I'm on it. Can I do say one other thing about that? So I have an opposite example of what you just shared about going to Japan and pursuing that. When I was young, I was probably twenty years old. I had the opportunity to go to Germany um, with a military unit. It was a voluntary assignment, um, and you know you could go or not or whatever. And initially I was going to go and I signed up for this opportunity to go to Germany with, with my, with my unit. Um, and at the time I was managing a retail shoe store, journey shoes. And I know journey. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I was, I was managing that store and I was a young manager. I had just got it started. I just got promoted and I told my assistant manager, Hey, I'm, I have this opportunity. I'm going to be gone for like three weeks and then I'll be back. And so I need you to manage the store. Well, my assistant manager unknowingly to me had just accepted a job at another store down, you know, a couple stores down in the mall. This is like the way of the mall rat. Right. And so (laughs) he had, he had accepted this position as a management trainee And I was really angry with him because he didn't tell me and then it limited my opportunity. And so I called up my section chief and I said, Hey, I'm not going to go after all. And I let that opportunity slip by. And you know, this was 20 years ago and I still think about it. I don't know what would have come of it. I really don't. But I, I thought about it like a year later, I'm like, well, what would have kept me from just calling my district manager and just saying, Hey, I need a, somebody else to transfer to this store for three weeks because I'm going with my military unit to Germany. Like best case scenario, he would have brought somebody else in. They would have done a fine job for three weeks. I would have came back. Worst case scenario, he would have fired me. I don't think that would have happened, but that would have been worst case scenario. And so what? I don't work at Journey Shoe Stores. Like, give me a freaking yeah. break. So like I said, I don't know what that would have turned into. It may not have turned into anything, but it's an experience that's worth having. And it is, and it's an experience that as a 20 year old, I'll never have that opportunity again. Now, maybe as a 41 year old with my wife and kids and all this kind of stuff, but as a 20 year old, I'll never have that opportunity again. So take it when you can get it and make things work. If you, if you really want to pursue them. Amen. Well, 
Thank you so much, Ryan. This has been, I feel like we could keep talking for hours. This has been such an enlightening, enlightening, lightning. it's one word, an episode. Okay. I grew up in in Eastern Kentucky and (laughs) we say things a lot differently than anywhere else, but it's been a very great podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. It was so nice to like meet and connect with you. Went to strong. Thanks for not being weird and about me breastfeeding and Uh, Ryan has a podcast called Order of Man. Um, It is a podcast my husband religiously listens to, has the t-shirts, got it all. It's a very, it's a great podcast and he doesn't hold back on his feelings about things, which I think in today's world is brave and admirable, admirable. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. And thank you for coming on and sharing your, what is it? Eastern Kentucky. We can understand that Eastern Kentucky draw or whatever (laughs) it is you call it. I don't know what you're putting down. So I used to stutter real bad when I was a kid and to make up for that, I started talking faster, but then I mumble and talk fast (laughs) and accent, it it gets, it gets hairy sometimes, but I appreciate y'all being with me and listening to the podcast and see you on the next one. Yeah. We'll see you guys. Thank you. (gasps) The Rose Bork podcast is brought to you by Rose Bork where family, farm, and fitness all come first. Make sure you join our email list for the most up-to-date, exclusive content. The link to this list is in the description. Also, we would greatly appreciate it if you gave us a follow, shared our story, and left an honest review. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast.